This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Okay, welcome to A-Frame Craft Brewery. Um, we're here with, of course, Marcus. Say hello, Marcus. What's going on? And we got Jeff over there in the corner. Hi, guys. Who's the partner and proprietor, one of the partners. Yeah, my wife and I, yeah. And Ben from Night, Night Owl. Owl Brewery. Now, he's a local, but uh, he has his brewery in Vancouver. So yep. he's the opposite of the other guys. We're expecting Ben from backcountry. He'll be here in a bit. Of course, running late, but everyone's got busy schedules, so we're all sitting here uh, doing this thing here. But yes, Ben has Night Owl Brewing in Vancouver, but he's a local here. And uh, we are basically here to talk about craft brewing. Uh, I, we started this, when I started this podcast, uh, I wasn't really thinking about doing the craft brewery topic, mainly because, you know, we're talking about issues. But then when I look at it, you know, I was away out of country for a long, long time. And then since coming back, the market for beer itself has changed. Before, you just had the pubs, and that's it. You go, you get your bottles or whatever, your, 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 your Molsons or your Labats or your big-time brews, and now it's changed. It seems like craft brewery is everywhere. You have your, your micro-brews, and uh, I mean, just again, when I moved back, like two have opened up already here in Squamish. And, and, oh, and you, yeah, I don't, I, you opened when, Ben, Night Owl? Uh, last July, a year ago. Exactly. So they're popping up and we want, I want to know why exactly how, how this is working. Why, why made you guys get into this industry? And let, let's not forget, uh, Whistler Craft Brewery and Coast Mountain Brewery mm-hmm. up in Whistler. That's right. So, I mean, they're, they're, like you guys didn't exist like five years ago. None of these guys. So like, what's the story? <laughs> I don't know where to start, Ben. Yeah, um, there's a lot of start like why it started. <laughs> I think people wanted change and wanted different things. I um, think refreshing, flavorless, overly carbonated lagers have their place, but there's a lot more out there. And soon people started realizing that beer could be so many different things and have so many different flavors, like this delicious coffee saison. Right. Yeah, yeah people wanted more. We'd, let's put that on the record. Uh, Jeff was quick to pour us a beer at 11.30 in the morning. None of us declined. Well, Marcus did. But the rest of us, the rest of us are still sensible. I'm responsible. And we're drinking a cafe saison, which I've never had before, but it is. It is quite a very pleasant beer. Yeah, and I mean, when you're talking about the differences of, of, of flavors and, and having more for the consumer, um, like Ben was talking about, I mean, this Lightning Lake coffee saison of ours is a huge departure from what we do. It was a, it was a big experiment. It's gone off well. Um, and I think that's industry-wide. I mean, not talking about our brewery, even Ben's or Backcountry down the street. Um, the variety is important, but I think what the consumers are looking for is they're looking, they're looking to buy in their backyard. Like, I think yeah. more and more... W- People are just wanting to know that they can get what they need to sustain life, uh, and yeah, beer is part of that. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, in their it's, in their it's neighborhood. It's been around since the you ancient know? Egyptians, so we can say it's so, part of civilization. Yeah, and, and so I think the desire to shop is a massive, massive part of the craft brewery movement in in our province, but across the nation and down and you know across the Pacific Northwest and such. Anywhere, really. Yeah. Speaking of local, uh, I don't know. A lot of people may not know this, but. Squamish, and actually probably more specifically Paradise Valley and Squamish Valley, used to be the hop-growing center, yeah. not for Canada, but for the British Empire. It was, So we're yeah. going back 100 years. Um, so we do have that legacy here. Yep. Yeah, you know, when we did a, uh, we did a fresh hop beer last September of 2017 with Mike from the Squamish Valley Hop Farm, who is now, you know, the owner and proprietor there and operator, and, and he's really trying to make a push to, to revive those hop lands and stuff, and He's doing a great job, and, and, you know, hopefully more people can use those hops specifically. But, yeah, it used to be a, it used to be a massive piece of, of the Paradise Valley. Massive. Yeah, pretty incredible. In fact, I think even the Guinness family tried to buy Shannon Falls to have a source of very pure water for their beer. Is that true? Wow. Yeah, no, that is true. You're not shitting I'm me. not making that up. That's true. <laughs> wow. Alan's a wealth of knowledge. That is, that's a new piece for me. Yeah, but that's I mean, amazing. Yeah. And which begs the question, where do you guys source your water? Well, I mean, us here, we we, 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 we are a city source. You know, yeah, the which city, is very clean, very the pure. City, the city water here in Squamish is fantastic. I don't know about you, Ben, in the Vancouver's city. Vancouver's amazing, too. It's yeah. pretty much pure water. I, When I'm putting recipes together and doing the calculations, it's the water's right there as pure water, pretty much. It's 
we're yeah, very the, lucky the, in BC. The district is very, very proud of the water. I know in a certain district, um, like for example, the 55 in downtown uh, Squamish, where they have the residence center, they have a, a cafe, a cafeteria in there, and they're not allowed selling water in that cafeteria because they, you, it's it's district water. You're giving away district water, like third best in the country or something like yeah. that. So like they're not even allowed selling water. So yes, very proud of the water here in, in Squamish. So yes, we're very fortunate. Yeah, I think yeah. it's I think it helps, and you know, well, I'm not I'm not the brewer in, in a frame. We have a brewer, Andrew Story is our brewer, but I know you're Ben. Like the water is a massive, massive piece of, of how your beer turns oh out. Oh yeah, it it's I mean, most of beer is water, so it really changes the flavor, and it takes very very little to do that. Obviously, the grains and the yeast and the hops do it too, but if you don't start with good water. Yeah, because I remember those Coors ads where they go, you know, made high up in the Rockies from pure mountain spring water. And I just wonder, whereas for these, for, you know, your local breweries and even in Vancouver, we can hike up and look at these crystal clear reservoirs where that water is coming from. And yeah, so that tells me, yeah, we're the most basic ingredient is about as pure as it gets here. Yeah. Well, speaking of those big chains like Coors and Labatt's, like it's all like one big corporation. Let's call it Beer Corp. Um, you guys are taking away, I guess, from Beer Corp, or do you just see people just tired of Beer Corp? Like, what they, what what is the sensation for, or the, uh, for the, the urge to go for craft brewing? I mean, obviously you're in business because there's the demand, but explain like why is there a shift away? How are you shifting? How is it shifting? Basically, the marketing behind it. Well, I think a lot of people, I think what a lot of people want in general, not just beer, but want an experience. And you can get that. You come to a beautiful place like A-Frame, and it's a real experience here. You know, if you're a beautiful place, you can try different beers, you can really interact with people. And it's different than this the same sort of generic beer. And, and you can get that. And that's the same shift with buying local. You can get an experience with your neighbors and with people who live in the same town. And, and a brewery is a great way to do that. Right. As, as we actually just saw, you opened your doors at 1130 and people we are, have a are crowd. sitting out on your deck enjoying a flight of beer. Yeah, I, I think, Ben, I think you guys are like the experience is, is a huge piece of it. I mean, you can't you can't survive in this industry without good product. Um, and so, yeah. you know, 130 breweries now and counting in B.C., surviving with good product the demand is there it is it's it's that environment it's 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 old school social networking right it's it's coming in here to talk and to hang out and to, and to know your neighbor and to sit down with your neighbor or to see someone you haven't seen in a couple of weeks like the beer is the beer is half of it but the experience that you create is the other half of it and you know the the big brands the big box brands they're not creating an experience for you they're they, they they're trying to they're trying to tell you what kind of experience you can have with their beer, you know, with, you know, Molson Canadian and, and, and a backyard hockey party or what have you. But, like, our customers don't need to be told what kind of experience they can have with it. They're coming in here and they're doing it. They're going to Callister where they can get Night Owl and they're hanging out, right? Yeah. They're, 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 the experience is such a big piece of it. And, and then you've got that emotional attachment to your, to your customers, to your regulars, which is, in our opinion, a... a a huge piece to that retention and to that um, to that vibe in our in our building in particular. Not speaking to anybody else's, but that emotional attachment is 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 critical. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really great that customers can come in, try a beer, talk to the owner or the brewer about how it's done, or smell it being made and seeing the process, and really be kind of intimately involved in it, and not this mysterious thing i regularly when i'm working behind the bar have people come up and home brewers and ask oh how did you do this and they seem very uh hesitant to ask thinking that i'm telling them some secret i was like oh i'll tell you what ingredients i used and how i do it and give them tips and it's a very there's a real experience there that i think is really fun you know that's a really it's a really interesting one because we um i don't want to say we're one of few but like we print a menu with all of our ingredients for the beer. So that coffee saison on the menu has all the malts, all the bittering hops, all the um, dry hop hops. If it's well, it's not applicable to the to the saison. But um, Andrew puts it all on that menu. So as a home brewer, you can come in and and then you start to get the real interesting questions like, okay, well, how, how much how much two roll malt is that in yeah. in the in the bill? What percentage is that? You know, or like the hazy pale ale. What percent what percent wheat is in that? And and it becomes this really interesting and, you know, working behind the bar, that, that's why it's still fun in our businesses that we own to be behind the bar oh, yeah. and to interact with our customers and provide that 
again that that level of service and that that ability to connect with the customer and and that's why that's why those big brands I think lose out at the end of the day because they, they don't have that they can't right. but, but how has it changed from the first wave of brew pubs that came through I mean of course we all know the house on in and brew pub which came up here it was, the, it was the first, I think, in the in the region. One of the, one of the first yeah. twenty years ago, and of course there was the the brew pub up in Whistler in the Whistler Village, which is now I think a, a Gibbons uh, owned place. Yeah, it might the, be. I'm not sure. The, 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 the old school brew pub, like um, the Brew House. Yeah. No, no, they're um, the Mark James Group, I think. Okay, Mark. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I'm too new school, and I think maybe even Ben, you might be too new school to like. I couldn't comment on like how sounds landing in the market in 94 or what it was like when they opened up um, the one in Horseshoe Bay there like ages ago you know I was more we're more looking at it now new school and and for us it was about and I keep going back to it but for us it was you know it was that environment and it was creating that environment and that's why I think that they're they're um, succeeding right Um, why though it started ages ago I have you know I uh, yeah, I'm too new school, and why we got into it was not about history. It was more about, yeah, the future. Right. So it, it, so basically, with craft brewers, it was, it was a niche, but now it's sort of breaking out of that niche, and you're, you're crediting that to, to basically the environment and how the experience of, of coming in here. Is, is, that, is that sort of... Well, for me, that's, for me, that's half of it, and I think that's, you know, we're working so much in, in behind the bar where you are, but yeah. I think... You you would you would probably agree like the beer the beer and the taste and the and the quality product is is a ma- is is a, is a big piece of it and equally equally as though is the space and the, and and where you're consuming it and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So well, then, what is the future then? I mean, you're new school, so you didn't really look past at the market how things were and how and how it expanded. I'm sure you you got in this thing with a future plan. So what is the future then? Of craft beer in general. Craft, well, and craft beer in general for yourselves. I mean. I mean, do you do you do you see like you get to a point where like if if Molson came to you and was like I want to use your your coffee ale and mass produce it would you say yes would you say no um, do you, do you see sort of a big the big guys going okay you know what let's start let's start doing our own chains you know what I mean? just to sort of get into what you guys have been doing create that experience what, what's what's missing you know they, it, because I mean they're, they're I'm sorry you faced a lot of challenges getting to where you are uh, basically first of all just saying you know what I'm gonna make beer. And then, and then get to create that experience. So, I mean, you're doing something unique, but where do you see that going? Because if everyone starts doing it, then all of a sudden it's not so unique anymore. Well, I, I think it's going to get more and more diverse within craft beer. I mean, Jeff and I have had conversations about what craft beer can be, how big it can be, but also how small. Uh, in populated cities that are denser, you could be no, not much different than a coffee shop and just serve a local market really small batches rotating the beer all the time and and that is a, a valid business model um, you can do big distribution you can do I mean it can be so many different things yeah you know and I mean that's where like you know we at A-Frame we're only so big and so you're talking about that distribution right like we're select where we're putting our product because if we got too aggressive or we really truly sold to capacity we wouldn't be able to we wouldn't be able to upkeep it and so you know, I think that there's a, what's the word I'm looking for? I think there's a ceiling that each sort of business, depending on, yeah, depending on their goals and vision, will, will have or will even, frankly, choose to have. You know, at a certain point, going too big becomes so much more overhead, whereas, you know, you, you gotta be, it's a fine line in that profitability then and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the diverse, the diverse changing product, the ever-changing uh, mindset of the brewers like Ben and, and Andrew here at A-Frame, like creating these recipes that, that are pushing the envelope, that are challenging the consumer um, outside of, you know, the, the lager that Ben mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you know, there's a place for it, but people are wanting character now. They're wanting different flavors in beers. And, um, and as long as these brewers can keep coming up with different ways to change a saison or to change the porter i'm drinking you know there's always going to be a chance to to strike gold with one of those products with one of those skews which is really neat coming out of because i mean ben you're smaller than us in size much wise, smaller than anyone right? size so wise. yeah so, <laughs> like, so like when the small guys like us and that's why the, the small breweries unite in, in night owl and a-frame but like when we could when we can strike gold with the product it's kind of fun because it's it we are so tiny yeah 
But that's the Why? thing. They're, sorry. Go ahead. They're, they're, but they're, there's a business then because, I mean, if you're so tiny, yet you're able to live in a climate like, you know, live here, where it's mm-hmm. like the one of the most, it is the one of the most expensive places in the country. So, I mean, I mean, even if you're so tiny, then, I mean, obviously you're doing something right. Well, I mean, it's also not my only source of income. Like, on my <laughs> scale, I've got a, a few irons in the fire. So right. that definitely helps. But it's not, it's not a, I'm not losing money on the venture, that's for sure. So... It's, um, yeah, and I think that you know the the common misconception is that this is a lifestyle of luxury, and and it, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it's the furthest thing from the truth, right? Yeah, I don't. You know? I haven't talked to a single brewery owner that's said anything other than there's no money in beer. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there's money in beer, but everything else costs thousands and thousands and thousands upon thousands of dollars. Um, well, I think, I think it falls the first rule of capitalism. There's a demand for it, and you provide it. But that said, as you say, if you grow past a certain point, you know, when do you stop becoming a craft brewery? So, I mean, your whole identity is being small, which means you're never, you're never going to get rich. So, why do it? Well, and so, we, Ben and I laugh only because we had this conversation, Alan, and like, I don't want to be the guy that ever stirs the pot, but I am always the guy that stirs the pot. Like, I think that there has to be um, um, renaming or a differentiation between a, a brewery that pumps out you know, 125,000 liters like we do in a year and a brewery that pumps out 125 million liters of beer in a year. There's, there's, different, there's different things going on in, two, in those two different environments um, that, yes, provide their own challenges but also make certain things more streamlined or possibly more easy. Um, and so, I don't know, I just think, I think it would be nice for consumers to know when they're drinking a beer made from from a brewery that produces the 125 million liters versus the 125,000 liters, um, but right now we're all craft breweries, um, and and that's an interesting piece um, that I've always kind of talked about and Ben and I chatted about yep. a month ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah the category of making just a few barrels of beer a year to being a really large company still fits into the universally accepted definition of craft beer which is that the, the definition of craft beer has that been established by the, the government is that what the government well, calls it or? right now i mean the real only differentiation that exists is simply because is, is but the leaders that you produce in a year determines the the tax bracket that you're paying on the production that you that you're putting out but that's just one small piece of it i'm i'm more looking at it and i believe that needs to be there right so a brewery like our size pays different different rates per liter than someone that is ten times our size. But I'm more looking at it from the from the consumer, from the public side of things, understanding what they're getting. You know, like, well, I mean, I use us because we're because I know ours intimately. But like, every bottle of beer you drink that we now put in a liquor store is literally hand bottled, hand labeled, hand crowned. Like that is a totally different scenario than than someone that's putting out you know, a thousand cases of, of a beer that's through an automated system. The quality of the beer is still there, but it's just a, di- it's just a different, it's a different scenario. Why is A-Frames 10 cents more? Well, you know, because all of the person hours required to, to bottle those 17 limited release cases is different in our situation. And by buying that beer, you are supporting someone local in the community and that's not someone point. who owns the company, but live somewhere else or owns a whole yeah, bunch yeah. of breweries. Yeah. So you guys are in the liquor stores here, like the, the government liquor stores. So they have they have a program in place. For you so guys or? well, we've chosen we've chosen not to do the government liquor stores yet, right? Uh, for for political reasons on my end. Okay. Um, but we are. No, we're not letting that slide. <laughs> I what, what, are, go ahead, Jeff. So tell us why you do. So we're not in the government <laughs> liquor stores because the government liquor stores sell your product for less than um, they take it at a rebate, essentially. So your 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 price that you're setting to sell to the cold beer and wine store. They they sell they get it for less than that price, and they're still taxing you on the product, and they're the same entity. And I have a problem with that. Oh, um, okay. I don't believe yeah. that you should get to do both. If you're going to tax me on the product, then I should I think you should pay fair market value for it, or don't tax me on the product and ask for the rebate. One of the two. So a frame we've chosen not to go into the government liquor stores at this point. So we're we're distributing our bottles to select cold beer and wines. Um, so in town here, we're at um, the old Scotty's, which is now the El Dorado liquor store. And we're at the Squamish liquor store um, just on, is that Cleveland? Uh, beside the Lordco? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then a bunch of stores in Vancouver. I thought that the government, I thought the LCBO 
Oh, that's the Ontario one. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> LCBC. Um, I thought that they were the the sole wholesaler wholesaler of alcohol in the province. So I thought that you had to you had to just go through them to go into other other stores, even if you don't want to go into a government liquor store. Is that where am I wrong on that? Yeah, essentially that's what it is, right? They you you have to register your SKUs with them, but as a manufacturer and and such, you can move. You can move your product yourself to the cold beer and wine store, okay. and so in doing so, um, they've created a like essentially like a three-tier pricing structure that that you have to factor in when pricing a bottle of beer, um, because there's the price that the cold beer and wine will pay for it, and there's the price that the the government liquor store will pay for it. So Lucas uh, late to the party. <laughs> Ben from Backcountry. Ben, how are you? There you go. A little emergency meeting this morning, apparently. Uh, yeah, flow meter had to get returned to uh, Strathcona Brewing. You're always uh, leaning on your friends to borrow equipment. Uh, <laughs> had the liquor inspector in yesterday. Got to measure the flow meter for the new bright tank. So, yeah, that's what we were doing this morning and in a rush. Good times. What we're just talking about government. Exactly. We're just talking about before, before, before you hit him with the government. Before you hit him with the government <laughs> question, do you want a beer, Ben? <laughs> what would you like? Uh, something uh, cold Good. would be great. The first question that should always be asked when walking into a microbrewery. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. What, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? Would you like a beer? Of course I'd like a beer. Why else am I here? Well, ostensibly to talk with us, but also to enjoy some good beer. All right, so... Tell us, we've heard their views on uh, microbreweries, the ins and outs, but uh, let's hear it from you. You're not going to get rich starting a microbrewery, so why do it? Let's see here. Well, for me, um, it just sort of culminated with the path that I was taking that this was became what I was thinking of as the perfect job for me. So um, I'm using my skills in media that I used to do uh, and bringing that into uh, our social media and our identity campaign. And, uh, and I worked in corporate sales for many years and now I get to do sales and it's much more fun to be selling beer than uh, corporate stuff and whatnot. So uh, yeah, basically my path just kind of came together. It was almost like it, it happened as a, it was almost like a surprise, you know, that it just, it was like I started I started wanting to uh, grow hops as a as an entry into the into the industry because I felt like everyone is going to like the hop grower, you know. And uh, so we had some f we had some land, and uh, and then I realized that you can put a brewery on there, and that might be the most profitable angle because the hops certainly would would not be. Uh, and so then we decided. Plus, you get to drink beer. Plus, you get to drink beer. Yeah, it's all about the beer for sure. We're thinking about beer all day, might as well have one. And, and speaking of that, what has Jeff placed in front of you? Um, I gave Ben our Shushwap Lake IPA. Oh, lovely. He knows I love IPAs. <laughs> nice West Coast style for you. Yes, yes. We got the West Coast style here. <laughs> love it. Speaking of hoppy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we took the hop farm idea, and I talked to a buddy of mine who does not even drink beer, and he thought that... My hop farm, the, that the brewery angle was the only thing to think about. And so we basically started investigating how it would be to open a brewery and what, what do we have to do and the regulations, the building that you need. And it got deep and deeper and deeper into it. And uh, so then we uh, found at a Christmas party, we ran into uh, my now partner, Mark Roberts, who was trying to do the same thing. And we realized this is a good partnership, and he brought along a brewer who was fantastic, and uh, so we all combined, and that seemed to be, for us, that was the secret of our success, was having the different entities, all with different s skill sets, coming together to do a bigger project and have the expertise in each area. We had a builder, we had the brewer, we had the industry veteran and marketing uh, all together in this group and uh, all we needed is one more guy to sign a few checks and that's uh, that's kind of how we were able to jump in quickly and be able to expand and kind of have the infrastructure to to succeed once you get on the ground you gotta you gotta keep running 
it actually picks up pace. You right. think that opening the brewery was the hardest part, but it's actually running it that's the bigger challenge. And actually talking about, we've all talked about local source ingredients and consumer changing consumer taste, but how did you guys find the brewers and decide on your recipes in the first place? Whoever wants to jump in. Um, well, I think we, we were, prob we're probably one of the, uh, the three in the room here that had to probably more actively go and find the brewer because your brewer kind of is, is part ownership. And while well, you're, yeah, Ben, you're, yeah, so are you. Um, <laughs> no, when we decided that we, when we finally realized that this was happening for us, because like Ben from Backcountry kind of fell into it, we kind of fell into it as well. And by the time we realized that we were doing it, we're like, well, geez, we better, we better find someone that can make some beer. And, and we actually just started talking to people that we had met, connections we had, um, started interviewing a bunch of different potential candidates. And then we're like, well, you know, like anything, we should probably post it and do diligence and, and open it up to a, a, a larger mass of people. Um, and through that interview process or through that job posting, we found Andrew Sawyer, who came to us um, from Turning Point or Stanley Park Brewing Company, where he had been brewing for, you know, half a dozen years there. Um, and it was a long, it was a long sort of, what's the word, a long courtship, right? Like we talked a lot. We um, discussed like family values. We discussed personal values. We discussed, um, you know, working for a husband and wife team with children. We talked about locations. We talked about beer styles that we like to drink. Um, and it, it was a long time but to, to do it. But at the end of the day, yeah, he's a guy that has... He, he's he's got a very good ethical compass. He's uh, he's passionate about what he does. He makes good beer, um, and and he listens and he and he takes a a viewpoint from all different angles to consider things. And and so it just kind of slowly just evolved. And and then we offered him the job, and it's been, you know, we haven't looked back since. And that was, you know, well he came on a year before we opened to help with the full on construction piece. Like he was here with us, cutting concrete putting up walls, doing the whole thing, as well as making sure the brewery was coming together. So um, that was our story in sort of finding our brewmaster and Andrew. And backcountry, okay, we, we sort of heard your story, but Night Owl. Well, yeah, I came from home brewing, and I, I came from home brewing and design and marketing um, professionally, and really, I, I've always liked making and sharing and what I've what I've created so um, it was kind of a natural step to start doing bigger scale um, you don't really get a good uh, good feedback from friends and family when you give them homebrew because you just gave them free beer so <laughs> it's like let's scale up and see what uh, how it goes and yeah see it's been consumers really think about your beer yeah exactly yeah. okay I'm just gonna say one word any any all three of you can chime in nitrogen yeah, we uh, we pour a nitro beer. We we pour our porter on nitro. Um, we pour our cream ale on nitro on occasion, um, and we're actually got a beer in the tank that we're gonna keg a few a few kegs to pour on nitro. Um, I think people enjoy it. I think people really enjoy seeing a different beer other than you know a dark start stout or a porter on nitro. Um, I think that it's fun for the consumer because it takes a beer that they may consume on a regular basis. So not, you know, in our Okanagan Lake Cream Ale, that that is what it is when it's just on a regular sort of carb line, um, and how it changes a little bit when it's when it comes through the the stout faucet on nitro. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a neat. You know, if we had the room, we'd probably put a second in. To be honest, anyone else have views on nitro? I I, I have very little experience with it, um, but I've had other than as a consumer, and I've had really great you know, nitro IPAs, but I've also had some where there's no hop flavor anymore. So I think it's, yeah. The, re I the, reason I, the reason I bring it up is the first time I had a nitrogen infused beer was actually at the Househound Brew Pub. And I do, I really enjoy it. But now I'm seeing Starbucks advertising their, it's cold brew coffee, but it's nitrogen infused. And I'm wondering if that is an, seeing sort of the first steps of large corporations adopting processes that were initiated large, large by, you know, micro breweries. Maybe. I mean, it's a pretty damn good nitro brew coffee, I might add. <laughs> 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 you got to make someone locally do it as well. But people I, are definitely watching.
approaching the craft beer scene yeah. and uh, what it's what it's doing for culture and how it's sweeping across the nation, really. Um, but yeah, it may be too far uh, to use nitro on an IPA. It works great on a stout and a porter and a cream ale. Well, we were, <laughs> yeah. go- we were going to. We actually almost just about packaged some of that of our Shushwap Lake IPA to put on nitro, but because of how heavily dry hopped it is and stuff, and the fact that we don't unfilter beer, you're yeah. just going to run into a problem with that stout faucet with that little sprinkler head. That's just going to cause problems, you know, every every second pour probably. So it just didn't yeah. didn't make sense. Just to go back to the the lifestyle aspect aspect of it a bit. Do you think a lot of this is start? A lot of these microbreweries started in places like you know Squamish, Whistler, Astoria, small scheme communities in. Colorado, small communities out on the American East Coast. Do you think that there's something about sort of a, a, a community that has a lot of character, that has sort of a recreational focus? Do you think that there's something about that lifestyle that, that sort of dovetails with craft brewery? I mean, I'll speak for ourselves, but I mean, the community we were entering was a was huge, huge piece of where we were going to open. And we looked at other small communities, and Squamish won out at the end of the at the end of the day for a lot of reasons. But like, you know, like our kids are in school here with your guys' kids. Like, yep. like we're part of the community. We do community events. Like that, that's that's part of being a small local business where it is a it is a labor of love. And yeah, we talked about it before. Like we're not all driving around in you know fancy Mercedes or anything like that. We're working hard to be part of a community and and finding that small little town where people want to recreate. They want to be social. Um, and and they like coming to a place where they can sit and hang out and chat and like you know yeah there's screens in our places but like there's no you know like people are hanging out together like and that's what I think people are missing and that's why and that's why in these smaller towns I think it's it's it, you know maybe it is you know a little different than in the city I don't know Ben if you think but like you know the community and and the type of community you enter is 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 such a massive part of whether or not you'll be successful. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess uh, I agree with that, with that totally. <laughs> we chose Squamish also because it had a great demographic of people that were outdoorsy and active, and that's a lot of people who drink beer are wanting something refreshing, af- refreshing after either working hard all day or you know also playing hard. Um, we for us we chose squamish well our brewer lives here which was so that's great we want to have him brewing and not driving and commuting um but also because it's a lot more economical to be brewing in a production capacity outside of vancouver so we were close to being in vancouver and we're going to be paying 70 percent more paying in, in squamish uh, so that was huge. So I think the model of a craft brewery works so well in these small communities because you can find land that's cheaper. You don't have to compete with a Starbucks to get your storefront in. Right, right. And also, I mean, and as you say, it seems like there's the consumers in these smaller towns tend to gravitate towards this product more for is that I see you nodding, Night Alban? Well, I, I think that Squamish is particularly great at supporting local businesses. Um, I, I've always enjoyed that, and the few years I've lived here, just the amount of people that are like, yeah, I'm going to A Frame and Backcountry and Tall Tree and all the other local businesses, and that's who they want to support. They want to buy Chromag and just up the highway a little bit and one up and well, you know it all yeah, comes exactly. down to density though right i mean when you have vancouver and you have your microbreweries in vancouver there's a lot more of you i would say in the city than up here you have a few but i mean you're, you're also talking about density and getting your product out there yes at the end of the day it's a, it's a labor of love and yes you're not driving mercedes but you still need to you know exist and get that market out there so i mean there, there, I guess there's a balance that uh, you need to sort of like, okay, I'm viable in this market. Great. So let's do it because, I mean, I, we again, we all live in Squamish in this area because, you know, our families are, are rooted here and it's a great place to grow up. But at the end of the day, you still need to, you know, function and operate. So, um, but the density of obviously in a big city is, is something that you can't ignore as well. So, I mean, obviously you guys are in the same market. I mean, you're essentially kind of 
competing with each other. I don't know if you look at it that way or not. And so what this is what I mean, like how, how do you decide to go in a market that is smaller, not as dense, and then sort of compete in it? Yeah, I mean, I drive through Vancouver on some of our deliveries, and yeah, I, I, would, I would agree that sometimes I'm like, you know, what would it have been like to have opened in one of the smaller, smaller communities in the GVRD? What would it have been like? Um, and yeah, yeah, we are, we do, we are, we are competitors with backcountry. I mean, the, the weird, strange piece of this industry is, you know, Ben just comes back from delivering a flow meter to Strathcona. Backcountry's down the street and is our competitor. But we talk all the time. We we hang out. We drink beers at events together. Like it's not it's not <laughs> they're a competitor, but it's not a competitor like you might think in another industry or like pick one that might be a better example because I'm drawing a blank. But it, 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 we are competitors, yeah. But it just seems to be like a way a way more um, amicable um, ecosystem where we're all working towards the common goal that we were discussing before, which is just good environments, great beer, different character in beer, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, I mean, you know, you know, not having the density in Squamish probably is something that, you know, you know, might, might hurt us at the end of the day. Yeah. How many people do we have? And, and they have three places to drink beer that are making it in Squamish. So they're, you know, they're, we're, we're sharing those people amongst the three, amongst the three places. I think the, the nice thing is, is that we all have something different going for ourselves in Squamish, which is really great because then the consumer goes to the one that they want that day based on on, on the fact that they know what they're going to get from the d three different locations in Squamish, which, you know, is, re is really neat. Yeah, so uh, I guess our banker told me one day <laughs> that uh, the, the brew pub model is replacing pubs. And that's what they, their, their money is on brew pubs as opposed to your neighborhood pub. That's the the new model, and they. When your banker tells you that, you know it's it's more than a trend. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a good uh, bellwether. But actually, you weren't here for this this question. I asked them earlier. The first wave, you know, we're talking about you know here in Squamish, the House Sound Brew Inn, Brew Pub, and up in Whistler, the Brew House. You know, that first wave of microbrewery was a little bit different. They were bigger operations. You always had a restaurant attached. It was almost like sort of a different incarnation of a neighborhood pub. Whereas you guys are much different. You guys are smaller operations. You're very much more about the beer. You rarely if ever have food involved. It's usually an outside source. Um, so in terms of that evolution, is that, is that come across, is that come around because the consumer is demanding more choice in beers and more specialty beers? Or has that come a, about because just economics? You can only afford a smaller operation. Not everybody can afford to pop up a million-dollar brew pub. Or is it a combination of the two? Um, well, I think what the, what, what's been happening is the tasting rooms have been the one piece that would make the most money for the brewery, or it's their highest margin area. So more and more people were opening tasting rooms instead of just breweries um, and with, with uh, maybe a growler fill. But uh, that for us, that was our main goal was tasting room. And that's why we have food because we wanted them to stay or attract the other people that came for food or not have to leave your place because they have to get food because now, now they need food. Um, so for us, that like the, the market trends were like these are the, the successful breweries there this is what they're doing and it's it, we picked up on that um, as our main but that focus. was also a result of the change in the liquor laws that they allowed tasting rooms yes and we, I mean we were looking at breweries also that were in the states and whatnot but um, yeah so we like the the whole uh, you know we're, we're selling more and more of our beer right from our location and kind of pulling back from set selling outward actually at this point. So we're trying to keep more cans of in, our, in our shelves instead of having our stuff sell out in 10 days and then you can find it everywhere else but not at your own place. So Well, and that's the interesting piece, right, is holding, is holding back to sell it because, yeah, the, the economics is, is, is that you're making more selling it from your house. You don't have shipping costs. You have a bunch of other things that save by selling it in-house and you know, we retain a certain number of cases for the exact same thing re you're talking about, Ben, is because why pay the shipping to send it to another place and all of a sudden you be out, but you can get it at the High Point Liquor Store in East Hastings. How does that, how does that help us, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny. La actually, last weekend, 
there was an event in Squamish here and they asked for beer and uh, we didn't have any extra beer to sell them. And I came here and you guys didn't have any extra beer to sell them either. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're what about Night Owl? Did they come to Night Owl? <laughs> no, they didn't come to Night Owl. They, would so you have beer <laughs> to sell them? Maybe they should have come to you. Yeah, I could have had a little bit. <laughs> but again, we like, um, so I'm brewing at a Callister and it's a collaborative space. It's a third the size of the brew house of here at A-Frame and essentially 100% of the sales are are in-house. We don't distribute at all because of the margins and because it's we're working in a space that is, there are 14 breweries in what's known as Yeast Van, um, densely populated area obviously, but that's a lot of breweries. And we do good business and a lot of that is because we're not sending it out everywhere and getting that wholesale price and and it's and we get to talk to everybody who comes in and and have that relationship which is great well, and i mean that's the fine line that we were talking about earlier and like backcountry men <laughs> is kind of highlighting when that event comes through and they can't get the beer from either of the local breweries um you know if we didn't sell to one more restaurant or what have you would we have had that to sell to that event we probably would have and that would have been a connection again with our local community versus it going to, you know, a tap house in, in Langley or what have you. And so which, which is the right choice? What, what kind of brewery do you want to be? What is your business model? How do you want to operate that? Um, you know, and for us, yeah, we, we work really hard to try to be able to have that for the locals that want it for an event. And so when we have to turn them away, it's a real big loss for us. We, we feel it's a loss financially, but we also feel that it's a loss back to that emotional connection and that, and that ability to serve our community. Um, it's a, so it's a fail, right? <laughs> it was a big fail. It was a big fail. <laughs> we, like we, both, we both failed yeah. this weekend. Yeah. And, and, and so now that's like, okay, so dialing back distribution, but then, but then you go a month when someone doesn't ask for beer for a party and you've got stuff sitting in the cold room that you could have sold. And so now you're talking about operating at capacity and selling at capacity, but you're trying to hold back a percentage for that. You know, it is a ridiculously, the, the, the ground is never stable under our feet. It is always shifting and you are constantly trying to gain balance and figure out what the next move is. It's, it's really astonishing, uh, which is one of the things that really, really I love about it, but I hate at the same time. Right, and it goes back again to this absolutely being a labor of love because otherwise, why, why on earth would you do stuff like this? You know, I think I count inventory every morning thinking like it, something's going to change between last night's numbers and today. <laughs> like I'm all of a sudden going to find another keg that I might be able to sell to that party or something. I don't know. Yeah. Inventory every morning. <laughs> we actually, we found, uh, we found a keg of our sour sitting in the corner and all of a sudden it went back on the tap for like a day. It was, day it was great. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Jeff, what about food? Now, you have a sign on your door that says bring your own food. Have you ever consider, considered going the food truck route? So, and this is where, you know, like we're different than backcountry and we are more on par with um, where Night Owl operates out of in Callister is that what we wanted to do um, was we really brought the Vancouver style tasting room to Squamish where we were wanting to employ um, local businesses that were going to provide the food for us. We, uh, A, didn't have the budget, nor did we have the desire to go after a full kitchen to serve hot foods out of our brewery. We weren't wanting to do that. Um, we, our business model has always been and will continue to be work with the local entrepreneurs in Squamish and Whistler, North Van, West Van to, to get those trucks in here or to have a meat pie that goes in our little oven that we can serve from frozen and through the oven and so on and so forth. And that's where, and that's where we're wanting to go. Does that, does that hurt us at the end of the day when there isn't a food truck? Yeah, potentially it really does because what Ben was talking about, you know, after they have a couple beers, they need food. Well, at Backcountry, they can order the food. If they're here, they've got to make a decision. Are they ordering it in? Fine. Right? Have they brought their own picnic? Fine. Do we have a food truck? Great. But it is a massive component of it, but we're, we're looking to attack it from a slightly different angle um, than those that have put a kitchen in. Um, and with that, we get challenges along the way um, would we ever own our own food truck it is a real possibility a real possibility yeah that's a great idea <laughs> nailed it 
Well, isn't it the obvious? Well, I've seen the obvious yeah. move. I've seen other <laughs> I've seen other craft breweries that have done that. They bring yeah. it. You don't want to have a, the cost of a full kitchen, but you just bring in a food truck. No, we would we would have to make we would have to make a prep we would have to make a prep area on site because that is one of the things that Van Coastal is going to need from us. But um, you know, it doesn't. The best part is it doesn't it doesn't have to be the ex- this extravagant offering, right? Like. Um, you get pretty damn good food coming out of backcountry, and that's that's a real that's a real cool thing for them. Yeah, so you how know? do you guys do it? Uh, well, basically, um, hmm. yeah, it was funny the way it happened. Was we were discussing food, we knew we needed food. The the other guys uh, were very beer fo- focused. I had, you know, I couldn't really help with designing the brewery aspect, so I just kept thinking about food, about food, bringing it up at meetings, bringing it up at meetings, and finally it was like okay it's time to start talking about food and uh so we wanted to make it really simple um we wanted to have make it something that goes well with beer and really approachable we had we had we knew we had to keep it simple so we went pizza where we could show some creativity and do some pairings as well and then we lucked out and got a fantastic chef and he developed it from there. We had a, f- we knew we wanted salads, and we thought we wanted to have, you know, healthy food for people in Squamish. And they don't like healthy food when they go out. They they have that at home. <laughs> it's not about that for them. It's yeah. So Caesar salads and, you know, our Squamish salad that had all the veggies in it just didn't sell. So, <laughs> you know. So yeah, um, we we kind of lucked into getting this fantastic chef, and he built it up and um, now we have a new chef that came because he loves beer and he came from the Four Seasons and now has kind of brought in this little bit of barbecue angle. We've got fried chicken now and it's just evolving and we're trying to keep it, you know, keep it in, in check. <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, it's an animal. Right. It's a whole other... You got enough on your plate with the craft brewery. Now, now you got a growing other business that's uh, just as complicated and difficult, right? Well, this is where it helps to have five owners because we can all work overtime and it doesn't affect our bottom line. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, actually, we're actually having a really hard time finding staff for our kitchen right now, and it's I may actually go back on dishes where I started in the in (laughs) last April first when we opened. And of course, up in Whistler, they at uh, Coast Mountain and uh, Whistler Craft Brewery, they don't serve food either. And I guess that's sort of, um, I guess it's sort of the charm of microbreweries. It's sort of uh, figure it out as you go along, kind of like sort of slot in pieces where you can. But that, that, that's also giving back to what he was saying about finding staff. I mean, that's about living in this area. I mean, uh, finding staff in general and the way the market is, it's just, I'm sure it's sort a of... Whole, that's a whole other it's podcast. It's a whole other podcast. I, I get that. But I mean, it's, you know, so it's to have your, 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 your thing, you need your identity, which I understand you need your identity, you need your product, and then you need to go from there. Whether you have staff or not, it's just maintaining that, that core and then you will succeed you won't be driving Mercedes, but you will succeed and sort of keep going what you can do uh, and sharing your products, right? Yeah, even if we're making millions of dollars, I won't drive a Mercedes, but <laughs> I'll have a really sweet truck. <laughs> All right, guys, I think we got to wrap it up, but let's uh, we'll allow everyone to give their last plug before we sign off for today. So we'll start with Backcountry Ben. Where can we buy Backcountry beer? Or where can we just tell us where you're at? Well, we're uh, Backcountry Brewing here in Squamish in the uh, industrial park right down from A-Frame. And uh, come check us out. We've got a new beer uh, coming out today, the VCBW Double Dry Hop Pilsner. Uh, Yeah, it's available in the tasting room, and it'll soon come to Vancouver in about three or four days. Okay, and also let's, uh, for the record... Uh, Ben's wearing the he's branding himself with Squamish backcountry. It's actually quite a nice t-shirt. It's it's black and white. It's white with a black graphic with a black lantern and the backcountry logo. And Night Owl. Well, that's what I noticed with all these guys. Black with a with a sort of a grayish logo with the Night Owl Brewing logo, which is features a uh, an owl. It's actually I you know I gotta say 
you know, hats off. You, I think I, I'm going to give Night Owl the, the, I, the tops in the merch category. Because I, that's, that's, come on, let's face well, it. Well, that's, that's a huge that's compliment. Because nice you have hired guns doing your stuff, and that is some awesome well, design. Ben, you, you're, you would be one of those hired guns if you didn't get into brewing yourself, right? So, I mean, and you should see all the, the variety of colored hats he has. You know, as a hat Jeff's guy. wearing the A-frame hat, which is actually pretty cool. You got yeah. that, the A-frame Lego on. Yeah, these guys um, are pretty good with your branding. I'm serious. Like, your stuff is all over town. And so, I mean, that also helps propagate your business if people are wearing your clothes on top of that. All I right. think it's a testament to supporting local, though. A lot exactly. Of, a lot all right, go ahead. Gear. Give us your plug. Where can we, where can we get Night Owl? Uh, Night Owl Beer is uh, on tap at Callister in East Vancouver at Clark and Hastings. And I've got an um, IPA and a Shiso Pale Ale on tap right now. And that'll be <laughs> changing very, very regularly. And, of course, we're in A-frame. And here on, what's, is it Queensway or is it Industrial? It's Queen, qu Queensway. We're on Queensway. Okay, right. In fact, you can't miss it because we're right next to the Reuse It Center. And uh, well, don't let me put words in your mouth, Jeff. You go ahead. Give us your give us your best plug. Yeah, no. Uh, I just uh, I mean I'd start. Thanks for coming out, guys, and Ben and Ben. And this has kind of been fun to banter back and forth. And no, A Frame, we're in Squamish. Yeah, we're just a stone's throw down from Backcountry on Queensway. So don't go to one without going to the other. You got to check us both out. Um, yeah, we've got new beers coming sort of every couple weeks and. We're in liquor stores here in Squamish, private liquor stores here in Squamish. We're in some private liquor stores in Vancouver, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's a good time for, for craft beer and, and, and so on and so forth. So thanks a lot for bringing attention to it, guys. Well, thank you for actually doing the podcast. It's amazing, guys, to sit down and, and have a chat about it, because like, like we mentioned at the top, it's it's big growth. It's it's everywhere. It's a new thing. It's I think it's becoming part of the culture of the, you know, the Sea to Sky Corridor. And so, of course, this is why we're sitting down and talking about what's, what's going on. So thank you for, uh, for coming in. And one thing I'm actually surprised about is the camaraderie amongst you guys, amongst, amongst the different, like, like I said, there's some places that, uh, you know, uh, that hate each other because they're in direct competition. But with you guys, with your camaraderie, and actually you going in the city this morning, Ben, to help out a, a, a potentially another competitor is fantastic. And that's one of those things, I guess, that culture you're trying to bring together, which is totally awesome. So, guys, thank you very much for taking part of this podcast. And uh, wish you all the luck. Thank, thank you. you. This is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at SeaToSkyPodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.